Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Welcome to another episode of Vision Drift. Uh, I'm thankful that you're tuning in here. Uh, we're coming off of a sermon, a kind of spicy sermon, scandalous sermon, uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 30, um, where Jesus speaks on lust and adultery. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time, since it's such a hot-button issue, a hot-button uh, topic, uh, to kind of press in a little bit more and, and, and work out some of the implications um, about what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus in the way of uh, avoiding sexual sin. And so I've got to put a, a disclaimer out there. If you've got little ones listening, maybe maybe this is the one that you put your earbuds in for or something uh, as we're talking about the topic uh, of sin and uh, uh, sexual sin specifically. Um, and so in that passage that we, we spent some time digging into this past week, um, Jesus says this. He says that you've heard it said before, do not commit adultery. Sounds pretty good. It seems like that's going to be a, a pretty pretty good rule to, to base your life on. Uh, and then he says, but, but I say to you um, that if you even looked at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, and, and so what Jesus is really putting out in front of us is that the standard of righteousness, which is what this whole dialogue is based in. And Jesus talks about um, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes, which these guys were probably, you know, we, um, they were good at not having an affair. They were good at not committing adultery. But, but uh, as far as their wandering eyes go, this was been an area where they probably fall short. Um, and so Jesus is showing this is the righteousness. This kind of righteousness isn't just a a uh, a restriction of action or an abstaining from um, sinful behavior, but actually it's a it's a disposition of the heart that's so purified, so so cleansed that it doesn't even have the inclination to look with lust. And one of the misconceptions around this this um, dialogue here is that that Jesus is elevating lust um, to the same category or s- the same severity as actually committing adultery. And so. If that's the case, then somebody say, okay, well, I've already lusted in my heart, so why not just actually, you know, round out the deed and and uh, do the do the deed, um, and and you know, if I've sinned a little bit, why not sin a lot? Well, Jesus isn't um, elevating lust to the same severity as uh, as adultery, but what he's doing is showing categorically lust fits in the same category as adultery that it is in fact. A sin, and so it's not something that you know. You, I I think an immature Christian would look at this and say, well, you know, this just gives me justification to you know I've lusted. Why stop there? You know, um, but Jesus is trying to show us that that uh, we 
ought to avoid the action and and the heart's disposition toward lust. Um, it should be avoided. And so Jesus is really calling his disciples, um, not just those on the hillside, but us right now in the 21st century, uh, to a higher view of sexuality, that we would actually... Um, see the inherent dignity, value, and worth of humanity by rejecting the tendency to objectify people, um, to view them as objects or to exploit them based upon their physical appearance. And and really, the way that he does that is by, um, it's it's sort of rooted in a, a conquest to show us the beauty, the significance, to give us a high regard for the covenant of marriage and respect its sanctity. Um, and, and in doing so, realizing that the only appropriate place for sexual activity is within the confines of biblical marriage, right? This one man, one woman together for life. You know, it, you see this, the, God invents marriage in Genesis where um, husband and wife, they leave their family and together the two become one flesh, right? This is this is the the biblical standard for marriage and it doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, and, it, and it's going to stay that way because we see the new heavens, new earth. Um, Jesus, the bridegroom, is united to his bride who is the church. And so even even moving into our eternity, uh, God's designed one man, one woman for life. And, and in the case of the Jesus and the church for eternity, um, are, are together and and this is the only place appropriate place for sexual activity and anything sexually that happens outside of the confines of marriage between one man one woman uh, is biblically categorized as sin sexual sin um, and so it's not just the action of it but even even the intent um, as Jesus says to look with lustful intent the 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 thought the heart desire um, which is why the apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10:5 to take every thought captive it's it's like we have this responsibility as Christians that that as our lives are purified through Jesus right where we stand before God and we have the righteousness of Christ applied to us by grace through faith um, that we would work that out even to our daily life where our minds are renewed um, that our hearts, our desires uh, are, are, are curated for Jesus and what he approves uh, as good. Therefore, when we practice the way of Jesus, we are going to, by default, um, or by the work of the Spirit, really, not really default, it's the Spirit who's doing this, we're going to pursue radical purity and also uh, joyful marital passion. It's it's the illustration that I've, I've heard used before and I've used... On Sundays, keeping fire in the fireplace, right? Fire, um, you keep fire in the fireplace. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's enticing. It's you know, it, it's warming. It's stirring. There's something about it that's very enjoyable. Uh, but as soon as that fire creeps out of the fireplace, gets up on the couch, on the curtains, uh, it's no bueno. I mean, that things can go sour pretty quickly. And so, um, the same is with with sex and marriage. That in, in the confines of marriage, sex is a beautiful. It's a good thing. It's a joyful thing. But outside of it, it, it brings a lot of destruction. And um, that is something that as Christians, as people who are practicing the way of Jesus, that, that we have to really fight for is this radical purity um, and marital passion. And and one of the ways that we can do this, or one of the ways it works itself out, is by affirming the goodness and the gift of sex. Okay, so um, one, some people might look at, at Christians and say, well, they're just a bunch of prudes. They don't, you know, they only they only have sex if they need to make a kid or, you know, there's some sort of, uh, utility that's involved in it. Well, actually that that's not a biblical worldview. In fact, 
when Adam sees Eve, you see this poetry sweep over him. At last, bone of my vo- bone, flesh of my flesh. There's this, this like guttural response to seeing the beauty of his his bride coming down the aisle and and of course they consummate and they have kids and and there's a joyfulness in the union that they have um and so it's sex is not a dirty thing it's not a bad thing it's something that god approves of and ordains within the the appropriate confines Um, and so as christians we ought to acknowledge the goodness and the gift of sex i think i said this uh, on Sunday, the Christians ought to have the best sex because, you know, you, you, it's a full, a complete and total giving of oneself, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally and relationally um, that that we get to lean into um, when sex is is put within the confines of marriage. And, and as Christians, we can see sex as a as good and as a gift without idolatry. Idolizing it, I try to say idolatrizing. That's not the right word, but without idolizing it, uh, which is something that our our culture uh, is steeped in, is is the idolization of sexuality. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, and, and really, the only way that we can fight against uh, this is to eject our our sexuality, um, uh, the comfort that it. it you know, seems to offer us and the pleasure, uh, the, even the fleeting pleasures that it, it seems to offer us from the center of our lives. Because for a lot of people, this becomes like the ground zero. Like this becomes the the magnetic pole of, uh, it, it's all about attraction. It's about physicality. It's about lust. It's all, you know, for a lot of folks, this is sort of like the driving force in life, that the, the conquest mentality. And and the only way that we can adopt this, this worldview that Jesus is offering, this high view of sexuality is to eject that, that sexuality idolization, the comfort, pleasure from the center of our lives and rightly place Jesus in the center of our lives, that he becomes foundational to us so that everything about our lives uh, is spoken into, um, is is following the way of Jesus. And this co- uh, consequently will lead us into the true and real pleasure that we're looking for uh, in the midst of purity, um, in, in observing uh, a biblical and Christian sex ethic. Um, now, given our, our cultural climate, which is hypersexualized, that has a low view of sexuality, which, which uh, doesn't mean that it's devalued. Uh, well, it is devalued, but it's not like it, it takes a uh, a background position. In fact, sexuality is one of the very front and center things about our culture. It's like everything is infused with some sort of of sexuality, um, which makes it very challenging for us to live in this cultural climate as Christians with this desire for purity and marital passion, because these two worldviews are diametrically opposed. So, so as we're trying to fight for purity and for passion, here we are uh, immersed in a culture that's, that is infused with sexuality. It seems like every advertisement, every TV show, every movie has some sort of suggestible content, something that's very questionable, um, whether it be nudity or just the abuse of sexuality, specifically speaking of sex outside the fireplace, um, our music has been infiltrated with, uh, you know, just obscenities, um, stuff that would have been edited that would have not gotten any sort of uh, playtime on on the air, on the radio waves 10 years ago, now seems to get airtime and just like really strange stuff that gets in there. It's like, how are... How is it the kids are listening to this? You know, well, I know how it is, but but it's this big question mark. Like, what's going on here? It's and, and there's this normalization. Um, you know, it's like you see culture trying to normalize um, the things that are are shameful 
and that violate our conscience and sort of like give us this, um, this, uh, immunity to feeling, um, guilt or, or shame or, or feeling like our, our consciences are ve- being violated. Um, and, and so then in doing so, it just reduces sex down to purely a physical thing. Um, and, and like we talked about in, in the sermon on Sunday, there's no way it, it's, it's not just a physical thing. And you have to be very naive to think that, um, because sex has the potential not only to be incredibly, incredibly, um, you know, great, um, but something that they can cause a lot of damage. And so there, there are a lot of wounds and hurts, um, in people's stories because of, um, hypersexualization or sex not taking place in the right confines. And when you think about it, step back for a minute, um, taking all of these things into account, it makes sense that, that there would be so many glaring issues in our culture, right? When it comes to sexual harassment, rape culture on college campuses, um, the normalization of abortion, human trafficking, um, the sex industry and its disparaging effects, the, the havoc that pornography is, uh, wreaking on all kinds of people. There's no wonder why when we, we have these glaring issues when we have such a low view of sexuality. Um, now what's ironic is that we might on one hand look at these bad things and say, how terrible, I can't believe this. What has our culture come to? Um, but at the same time, that doesn't stop people from accessing and perpetuating the supply chain of these horrific things. Um, for example, like pornography drives a lot of these, uh, just detestable things where it comes to, um, human sexuality being, being, you know, misfunctioning and, and downright, uh, abhorrent. Um, and so it's so ironic that, that people might say, Oh, I can't believe this is what we've come to yet. They're the ones who are, are accessing and utilizing, um, pornography. And, and so this is a huge issue given with how, how accessible pornography has come over, uh, the last couple decades, right? It used to be, uh, you had to go to a video store and embarrassingly ask for a magazine or, or a video or something to get access to this stuff. But right now it's like, if you, if there's a screen in your house, uh, it's easy to find content that would not be glorifying to Jesus. Um, and, and some people, you know, so just the, the pornography consumption in our culture has skyrocketed over the last couple of decades. And some people might look at this and say, well, it's not such a big deal. Um, it's not that big of a deal. And, and even like they, they try to justify it as at least I'm not, you know, at least I'm not doing it with somebody else or, you know, th- there's not as many consequences this way, but actually when you think about it from, from a, uh, a relational perspective, from a emotional and, um, mental perspective, the use of pornography carries vast and drastic implications, things that, things that are going on that, that, uh, y- you don't want to know about, honestly. It's, and so it gets downplayed. Um, and, and so there are literally things that are happening, like porn users, their, their brains are literally being rewired. Um, it's, it's part of, of, objectifying other people, um, using them as a, as kind of like thinking in, in a consumeristic fashion, um, using them to fulfill your own need, um, which really leads into the subhuman lifestyle. Right. And, and it doesn't just like affect what's going on from behind a computer screen. It affects a bunch of different relationships of, uh, how you view your friends, uh, of a different gender, um, how you, 
you know, the dating scene, your sort of expectations, um, even the fact that like now some dating apps aren't really like based on uh, relational compatibility, but just purely based on sexual attraction. Um, and so this, this sort of rewires your brain. It pulls us into a subhuman lifestyle where sexuality is actually hindering us, keeping us away from living the good life when the promise, it's an empty and fleeting promise of actually this is the self-expression, um, this expression of sexuality was, was actually going to fulfill you. But in reality, it's, it's counterproductive for your flourishing. Um, and, and again, it's, its implications are huge. And as we're immersed in this, uh, this culture where, where pornography is glorified, it's, it's condoned. In fact, it's shocking. That's like two thirds of porn users say that it's not a big deal. Um, they don't have any problems doing it. And and it's literally changing, um, us in, in, in a way that we're becoming more inhumane. Um, the consumeristic mindset of this exchange for goods and services to make, make somebody feel happy, whatever the cost might be, right? Devaluing um, and objectifying other humans. Men just like has to have this, it's an easy tendency for men to get swept up into the constant state of objectifying women, that their their hearts are lusting and they, they've got crude speech, the way they talk about women, their wives or whoever it might be, or the way that they just neglect the real relationships that they have uh, to, to curate um, very ungodly relationships behind computer screens. Um, you, you see how women, uh, a, as a result of this, um, are forced to find validation in their appearance. So they see, okay, men, men are attracted to this. This is the way that they, they give validation and approval. And so they sort of get swept up in a narrative instead of finding their validation and, and their, uh, their, their beauty and their worth in Jesus, they start, you know, kowtowing to what men want. And, and before you know it, there's all kinds of secret sins, porn addictions. Um, and, and in the midst of this, you get a lot, a lot, a lot of suppressed guilt and shame. Um, in fact, one of the crazy things about this, there, there's a poll, um, these statistics that I'm pulling from here um, are pulled from Barna and they're a little bit dated. I think they were pulled in uh, 2016, um, which I would imagine that they, they've only become more damning um, since then over the last four years, um, that teens and young people currently, um, because of the view of sexuality, the view of pornography, rank not recycling as more immoral than viewing porn. Isn't that wild? That, it, that it, to them, it seems like a, a, a bigger issue to not recycle than it does to view pornography. And I just think that that's just crazy. Now, you you would hope that these statistics, these things are, are only um, in the secular world, people who are not uh, professing to be Christians um, following Jesus. Um, but, but Christians aren't immune to this counterfeit view of sexuality. In fact... Statistically, 41% of men ages 13 to 24 frequently view porn. 23% of Christian men 25 and up are frequently viewing porn. Now, men, uh, the statistics show, utilize access porn more than than women. However, 13% of women, 13 to 24, ages 13 to 24, frequently view porn as well. And 5% of women 25 and up. And so, like... The pornography is not just a man issue, um, something that men struggle with. It, more and more, and even more recent studies show that porn usage among women is going up, especially as uh, relationships are being digitalized, um, happening behind screens, that women are getting swept up in this as well. Um, 
And so as I'm recording this and, and putting some of these statistics together for you in this discussion, statistically speaking, there are people who are listening right now um, who are struggling with uh, the consumption of inappropriate content or, or pornography, um, both men and women. And this it, this is something this is serious. First of all, Jesus says to look lustfully uh to look with lustful intent is like committing adultery in the heart. He says that it'd be better off. You cut off your eye or cut off your hand if that's what's causing you to stumble. Um, so you can enter the kingdom of heaven without those things. It's better to enter the kingdom of heaven without a member than it is to get burned up, uh, in hell, um, being intact. And so this is a serious issue to Jesus. He, he's, he's calling us to this radical view of purity. And so if we want to be effective at making disciples of Jesus, people who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus, that, that their whole life comes under the Lordship of Jesus, including, and especially our sexuality, uh, we need to be comfortable entering these uncomfortable conversations about our sexuality, uh, about what sort of media we're consuming and our relationship with pornography. And, and I know that this is a sensitive conversation. There, there's, there are going to be appropriate places to have these conversations and, and more and less appropriate conversations, uh, less appropriate places to have these conversations. But nevertheless, it, it's very important. Again, Jesus, the, the second thing that Jesus talks about in the dynamics of the kingdom of heaven, first is anger, um, and, and our ability to reconcile. And second, he's talking about a sexual ethic, a biblical sexual ethic. So this is something that's high up on the priority list of something, you know, it doesn't get pushed to the background. It's not a top taboo topic for Jesus. It's something that he wants us to talk about so that our lives can be conformed to the image uh, of the beloved son. And so we've got to be, un- uh, got to be comfortable having these uncomfortable conversations. And so I want to ask you, do you have relationships where you can find accountability? Okay. R- real meaningful relationships where you can be yourself. You can be honest without fear of, of condemnation, right? Of, of course, the, here, one of the one of the things that's always going to steer people away from having this conversation is the inevitable feelings of guilt and shame. But here's 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 the scary thing about this: the more you suppress guilt and shame, the more guilt and shame compounds. Okay, so it, it might seem counterintuitive to enter into this conversation that that's going to put your guilt and shame out front of somebody and put you in a vulnerable position. Um, and yes, it is a vulnerable position. You're, you're sort of burying your soul to somebody. Um, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to have the intentions of of building one another up in Christ, not tearing one another down. And so that's one of the dynamics of, of a gospel community is that our, our intentions are to see to the flourishing of other people. So when we hear sin confessed and repented of, we, we don't hold that over people. We don't we don't condemn them. Uh we remember that in Christ there is now no, therefore now no more condemnation, um, and, and be reminding of each, reminding each other of, of the freedom that we receive in the gospel, and that's really what liberates us to have these hard conversations, to open ourselves up to the scrutiny of other people, and have this meaningful accountability to be honest. And so I would say, listen. Do you have these relationships? Are you in a fight club? Uh, you know, fight clubs or DNA groups, we've t- called them that before, um, are these groups of two to three, maybe four, uh, excuse me, two to three to four to five, uh, maybe six, I don't know. It's a smaller group of um, people from the same gender who are committed to stewarding 
the lives of one another in a way that that points them to Jesus um, through accountability, nurturing, discipleship. Um, we read books together. We just do life together, um, sharing with our real struggles and how the gospel meets us in the everyday stuff of life. Um, do you have a, a fight club? Do you have people that you can be held accountable um, with? And and I'll say this, missional community can also be an avenue where this happens. Typically, uh, it's less comfortable, and, and usually Fight Club is the more fitting place for these conversations. Not that it can't happen in missional communities, um, but it is it is a conversation that needs to happen. So get in a Fight Club. Get with somebody uh, who you can trust, who can hold you accountable to this, and, and be honest and, and open with them. Um, and then also, like we've we got to be able to point people towards like really practical steps to helping them um, follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So how, how do you pursue, the question should be, how do you p- pursue this radical purity that Jesus is calling us into? Now, when you find yourself tempted, you find yourself um, in the struggle uh, of, of pornography, sexual sin, um, it, it helps to do some diagnostic questions. Like, how did I get to this point? Usually, usually there's like, you'll find yourself, you can backtrack a little bit, you can find that you've put yourself on a slippery slope in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's because uh, you started clicking around on websites that maybe you should have been on in the first place, or you've got an app that, that makes things easy to access, or sites you know that, that are just going to naturally make you stumble. Um, how do you prevent yourself from getting on that slippery slope in the first place? Right. So I, I think there, for me, sometimes I'm going to be honest, where uh, I've, I've, I've personally struggled with this in my past. I remember college was a really hard time for me, um, struggling through some of this stuff. And I really wanted to fight against sexual sin and fight for purity. And, um, it took brothers who were kind of in the same place as me and, and some guys who had gone before me and, and showed that it was possible, um, to have freedom in Christ that would lead you away from this sexual sin. Um, but, but finding those guys who can, uh, offer you hope and encouragement um, and, and give you some really practical and tangible steps to keeping yourself away from that slippery slope. Um, and so deleting those apps. And, and even now, like the, like I said earlier, it's like you if you have a screen, it's easy to access things that, will go, that are going to cause you to stumble. So deleting apps that might lead to that would be a good step or, or blocking sites. You know, um, there's a bunch of, of really good um, software that, that, many Christians have, uh, put together guys that know tech and stuff that, that realizes such an issue. I think, um, one of the, the most highly recommended is, is covenant eyes. Um, it's a, it's, I think it's a browser or it's an add on. It's something that monitors your internet usage and, and what you're accessing on your phone. Um, it gives you the option to have, um, accountability partners that you can share, uh, your, search history with and what kind of content you've been viewing and they can follow up with you. I think there's another one called triple X church. Um, again, helping people try to, um, limit how to, you know, safeguard themselves from, uh, these slippery slopes that are going to cause you to, to stumble. Uh, and then the other one, there's going to be some people who like, this has really become an issue. It's not something that occasionally from time to time, season to season, um, where you feel flare ups or this temptation happening. Um, but, but it's like really you're entrenched in it. It's something that, that you feel is really burdening you, keeping you from uh, the joy and the freedom that you have in Christ. Um, like that's what Paul talks about, you know, being caught in sin, that you have this sort of, you feel like you're in a trap uh, of sexual sin and you can't get out. You, you might need help. Like 
you might need to go to your missional community leaders and say, hey, this is, this is something that I'm really struggling with and I need your guidance. Um, come to me. Uh, I know we've got counselors in the Quad Cities that that can offer help um, in breaking chains. There's um, there's a bunch of other options as well. In fact, I, there are people in our church who have that I'm very encouraged by that have struggled with this and have taken the drastic steps, the equivalent of cutting an eye out or cutting an arm off, to see this sin put to death, so that they would that their life would be more uh, more and more radiating the glory of Jesus in their sexual purity. Um, and so I'm encouraged by those people who are investing their time and energies and efforts and fighting for uh, sexual purity. Um, and, and so I was just like, th- there's people that are, are struggling the way that, that you might be struggling. And so reach out um, and find help from those folks and, and hear their stories and hear what worked for them. Um, that, that could be a, a source of great in, encouragement. Um, and, and really the whole point of this is Jesus wants to change this about us. Jesus wants wants to change us so profoundly that our inner orientation uh, towards sexual promiscuity, um, towards covetousness, towards lusting would be transformed where we have this deep-seated contentment um, contentment in Jesus and the pleasures that he offers us. Uh, the psalmist says that at your right hand are p- pleasures forevermore. Um, tapping into the pleasure that we have in Christ and, and knowing that that it's it's so profound. It's better than sex. And so accessing that and, and leaning into that, but also um, enjoying the pleasures and, and the privileges that we have for those of us who are, are married and, and enjoying um, our spouses and, and seeing um, them as a gift from God to be enjoyed. And that's one of the reasons why Paul um, in the in Corinthians talks about, um, you know, not abstaining from sex too long. Um because what happens is temptation creeps in. The, the, the enemy sees this as a foothold that he can sneak in, grab you by the shoelaces and, and pull you down. Um, and so don't, don't put yourself in a place where you're vulnerable to his attack. Um, out of love for your spouse and the desire for them to be pure and your own purity, um, come together frequently. Um, and, and so these are ways that we can help each other, that we can per- pursue this um, as Jesus wants to change us and bring healing um, and transformation in a profound way. Now, I realize that there are going to be some people who who have a background where, where sexual sin is um, played a, a large part. You've got a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. It's something that, that you've confessed over and over again. Um, that, that you have um, just sort of feel like it's forever, the scarlet letter on you. Um, you feel condemned. And I just want to remind you that in the gospel, um, you are not defined by what you do. You're not defined by what you don't do. Jesus takes the sinful, the broken, the dirty, and says, listen, I, I want my grace to have such a profound impact on you that, that where sin left a scarlet mark, where it was dirty and dark and marked you, I want to make you white as snow. And that's what the gospel does. It, it cleanses us. It, it makes us new. Jesus uh, says, as far as the east is from the west, the psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, so is my sin, uh, so, is, so is sin removed from you. And this is the power of the gospel. This is the effect that Jesus has on us. And so the gospel is the hope for sexual sinners. It's the hope for people who have been caught in bondage to sin, who desire freedom, who want to live this this new life and radical commitment to Jesus of radical purity, of of marital passion, uh, and to live in this counterintuitive, countercultural way. And so this is something that we can give ourselves to, something we can find a deep, um, deep, deep delight in as we live according to the ways of Jesus. And so for those of you who are feeling that, I just want to point you to Jesus. And for those of us who maybe are, are currently in the midst of sin, where pornography or, or these um, 
sexual sin relationships, these, these relationships that, that are tainted by sexual sin, Jesus wants you to see that his ways are higher, that his ways are better. He's offering us a new version, a new uh, approach to living the humane life, uh, a life of flourishing. And so if you're living in a way that's that's opposed to Jesus, I, I want to encourage you to, first of all, confess your sin, to acknowledge that, that the way that you're going about your business, the way that, that you're living your life and your sex ethic doesn't match up to the, the high calling Jesus has for his disciples. So confess your sin and repent of it. Um, and, and so repentance literally means to turn the other way. And so um, this can be one of two things, especially when it comes to sexual sin, is is you fight it, you put it to death, you, you put your foot uh, on the throat of sexual sin, and you, you squeeze its breath out until it has lost its grip on you. It's like thinking of it literally a life or death fight. In, in fact, that's that's what Jesus um, uh, tells us about in, in in uh, Matthew five, the stakes are high. It's either it's either fight this, either f- either fight this, fight sexual immorality, or you're going to have to put up with the consequences uh, in hell. And and nobody wants that. And he's not just saying that to scare us. He's not to scare us off, but it's because that is the effect uh, that sexual sin has us. It can total our lives. Uh, and so he's calling us to repent, to, to fight our sexual sin. Uh, in some cases, it means fleeing from it. Um, Paul says, I think maybe Peter says, flee from sexual immorality. Um, so run away. If it means running away, like literally, you might have to flee from sexual immorality by deleting apps, by getting rid of, uh, you know, like putting some sort of safeguards around uh, when you can use your computer or your screens. Um, flee from sexual immorality. Get out of a relationship that, that's causing you to stumble uh, in, into sexual sin. Um, and so the, that that's it. Two, two ways. Fight or flee. Uh, and then again, safeguarding yourself. Delete those apps. Put up guardrails. Seek out help. Confide in your fight club or your spouse. Especially, I think this is really crucial here. Um, Leaning on your spouses because one of the ways that Satan wants to trip us up is is by making us feel like we're alone, like that we have to deal with the guilt and shame of this or, or uh, deal with the fight of it all on our own. I know, I don't. This might be TMI, but but I know that when I'm preaching on a topic um, of sexual immorality or sexual purity or whatever, I tell my wife uh, the week of is like. I'm coming up against a topic that I know that the enemy is going to want to undermine everything I have to say about this by leading me into sexual sin. So can you help me? Um, can you keep me accountable? Um, can we make our, our times together uh, frequent? Uh, maybe this is TMI, but I'm going to roll with it um, because I'm telling you, this is how I fight. This is how I fight against it. This is how I flee from it. And so confiding in your spouse, asking for help, um, setting those screen limits, um, uh, and also... Um, the main thing is, is by feasting on Jesus. I talked about this um, in my sermon. Thomas Chalmers talks about the the expulsive power of a new affection. The only way that you can replace a, a sinful desire, the, something that's leading towards your harm or, or anti-flourishing, is to replace that desire with a stronger, more glorious affection. And so we have to see that see Jesus as that, that more beautiful, more true, uh, standard and feast on him and, and, and realize that porn and, and sexual immorality is only an attempt to scratch an itch that only Jesus can satisfy. Um, and so get in the word, steep yourself in the promises uh, of Christ, um, tr- lead into the, the intimacy and union that you have with Jesus, find your deep satisfaction with him. Um, go out, get out of, of the places uh, of, and this fits in with the fleeing from get, get outside, get, get away 
away from uh, the places that are going to cause you to to sin and find that expulsive power of a new affection by seeing God's glory and seeing the promise and the beauty of the gospel. Um, and, and part of this is just by seeing Jesus's own purity. Um, there was no one to ever live who lived a more pure life than Jesus. Jesus was the epitome of purity. And there was not a single moment where he looked at a woman uh, with the intent of objectifying. He was able to see the dignity, value, and worth of every human. And so even as you come to Jesus uh, as a sexual sinner, he looks at you and he sees your inherent value, your dignity, and your worth, and he wants to restore you to the state of flourishing. Uh, he doesn't push you away. He doesn't. He doesn't ignore you. He doesn't leave you to finish figure things out on your on your own. He he draws you and he wants to bring you near to him so that you could know the robustness of life with him and, and the deep, uh, satisfying love that he has for you. Okay, so so friends, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, our sexuality has to um, come under the lordship of Jesus. We have to uh, set the, the, the flag, the stake in the ground that we're, we're aiming for uh, as this radical purity and following the steps of Jesus. And in doing so, we're actually going to find a deeper sense of pleasure, deeper pleasure in Christ and deeper pleasure in our spouse when we protect sex and marriage uh, for what it is. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here. Um, I, I want to acknowledge here that there are, and speaking mostly to adults here, there are a lot of implications um, for adults as we fight for purity um, for married and unmarried people. Um, but but another thing that that I just want to get the wheels turning with is thinking about the implications for for parenting our children in a digital age. Okay, there's nothing that scares me more as a parent when I think about how accessible damning content is. And I personally, I want to put up every safeguard I can because my kids don't know any better. You know, they're young right now, but the, the day's coming where this is going to be, they're going to realize the lure of it. They're, it's going to be enticing to them. I want to put up every safeguard possible. Uh, and so maybe you've got kids that are older than mine. Mine are, you know, I think my oldest is six. I don't think, I know he's six. Um, and so th there's a little bit of time for us to sort some of these questions out. But for those of you who have kids, middle school, high school, how do you protect them? How do you have these conversations realizing that 41% of, of men, 13 to 24 are, are viewing porn frequently? How can you safeguard your kids? How can you protect their souls? How can you uh, help them love Jesus to a deeper regard? And, and I've got some, I think I'm going to do a podcast, uh, Later on about this being a TechWise family, there's a, a book that Andy Crouch put together that uh, has some principles that come in handy sp um, for the topic of, you know, fighting the sexual sin a as a family, um, but just for tech in general. So I just want to put that on your radar. Think through those. How do, how do we um, conform all of our lives to Jesus? How do we practice the way of Jesus as it comes to our sexuality, find those people you can be accountable to. Um, open up, be honest, be vulnerable with those folks. Trust Jesus for, every, uh, the, I think our confession of sin this it was either this week or last week for every one time you look at your sin, take 10 looks to the cross, right? Our sin is great, but, but the grace of the Lord is greater. Um, and so let's lean into the grace of Jesus and know that it's the grace of Jesus that not only frees us from our sin, that washes us clean of our sin, but gives us the power to fight against sin. This is the work of the spirit at work, uh, in our lives as we follow Jesus. So let's, let's be sensitive to the spirit. Let's lean into him, uh, and trust him and, and trust that Jesus wants to lead us into the flourishing life, uh, in the ways of purity and marital passion. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I know it's a sensitive topic. I'm grateful that you've uh, 
given yourself time to, to pursue this and to think about this. And, and my prayer really is to be a church of excessive righteousness, a church uh, that has righteousness that outpaces that of the, fr- the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And it gets down to this heart level stuff. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's fight for purity together and, and enjoy marital passion for those of us who are married to the glory of Jesus. 